Hey guys, Matt here. Have I got an announcement for you. Thanks to our friends at Ridgeline, we have an awesome prize giveaway. For everyone that purchases something online from Ridgeline and uses the code ENDLESS15, you will automatically go into the draw to win almost $1,000 worth of Ridgeline accessories. And that includes a set of binoculars and the bino harness, a trail camera, tripod shooting stick, and the field processing kit. You can enter as many times as you like by simply making a purchase and using the code ENDLESS15. This is open to all purchases up until the 30th of June. So check it out and good luck. You're listening to the Endless Pursuit Podcast, where we talk about all things hunting and the great outdoors. Let's get into it. No, I prefer it's go time. This episode is brought to you by Zeiss. Hunters need good glass, and with a Zeiss SFL or Smart Focus Lightweight Binoculars, you'll be on the hill longer and seeing further. The lens diameter has been reduced by 2 mil making it possible to decrease their overall weight by up to 20% compared to the Zeiss Victory SF models. Not only that, the SFL binoculars are up to 30% lighter than comparable products from competitors. Find your local Zeiss SFL stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. So when we started this podcast, we didn't really think that we'd be going down the path of advocating for hunting. We sort of wanted to put something out there that we were just having a good time, talking about hunting because we love it. And Dodge and I were very big on learning along the way. However, with some of the current circumstances and I guess the success we've had so far and, you know, there's been some some big milestones already, getting to number one multiple times and generally being in the top 10 in Australia, especially on the charts, We've sort of thought that our position needs to be one that we are thinking, hey, guess what? We can do something about this. And the current state of some things going on across Australia, we need to take some action here. So tonight, we are lucky enough that with everything going on with the duck hunting and a very restricted season and some terrible data coming through, we've got field and game chairperson, Danny Ryan, thank you for joining us, mate. How's things? Good evening, Matt. Good evening, Dodge. Uh, it's a, a busy up-tempo couple of weeks ever since the season was announced and the Victorian government declared that they were going to set up a select committee to look into duck hunting uh, by the 31st of August uh, of this year. Uh, also, South Australia also flagged that early on um, after there, after Peter Melanowskis was, was, was elected. Um, so they're going to do something similar as well in South Australia. But on, a, on an unknown time frame yet, I would imagine that South Australia will be in advance of Victoria, but, but Victoria has uh, a far, seems to have far greater issues than what um, South Australia does. I just wanted to declare that I'd, I haven't got done my wit test yet. Duck hunting is not something I'd ever thought about previously. Well, seen but not really thought about as a something to do. Would you mind maybe introducing Field and Game Australia and what it is and how it works? Field and Game Australia was formed uh, by a group of sportsmen in the Gippsland area, particularly Sale, back in 1958. So if you cast your mind back, it was you know, a dozen or so years after the end of the war, um, World War II, um, industrialised farming had come to Australia with, you know, big equipment, big gear, lots of um, 
non-viable farmland was being turned into viable farmland. Um, swamps were being drained. Australians were hunting in all states of the nation. Uh, and there was a group of sportsmen that became concerned, particularly by the decline of the Pacific black duck in their particular area, and they put that down to habitat. So one of the key things they decided to do was to form a sporting body and a sporting organisation that had a focus on conserving what was left and getting back what had been taken away, and it was specifically to to set about recreating wetland and recreating habitat and hopefully turn around the decline of the Pacific black duck. That organisation became known as... Um, Victorian Field and Game Association, which then grew to be a nationwide body over the next several decades. The particular group of sportsmen in the organisation lobbied the government of the day, which was very well supported because you had guys like um, Henry Bolte and um, uh, Jimmy Gorton and those type of guys that were all avid duck hunters but also very good politicians, and they recognised the need to conserve wetlands and, and have uh, a conservation theme as well. So the uh, licensing uh, scheme that came out of that whole process then created a income stream for the government to buy and set aside land, and that became the Victorian network of state game reserves. So all across Victoria, we have a network of state game reserves, uh, 199 of them. Uh, they are managed by various government agencies these days and have constantly transitioned through different versions of Parks Victoria and, and all of those types of things. Um, similar to New South Wales um, parks um, in Victoria, they've, they've, it seems to be duck shoved, pardon the pun, around the place all over the place. So um, that, that's where Field and Game grew. Um, we also became a, an organisation that focused on conservation and we also started clay target shooting in probably the mid to late 60s as well. And our clay target shooting has grown from being uh, a practice for duck hunting uh, into its own um, unique sport as well. So we have a clay target shooting side, conservation and duck hunting at the at the very core of the organisation. So that's that's where Field and Game grew from. We uh, we have um, we have branches all across Australia. We don't have state networks per se, but we have branches all across Australia. We have branches in WA, the Territory, South Australia, in Queensland, New South Wales, Vic and Taz. So nationwide. It's one that I think, obviously, I've been following what's going on down there in Victoria quite closely, and it's it's concerning. I don't think there's anyone out there that shouldn't be concerned about this. What is happening? It's been a busy couple of weeks, I'm guessing. What are you guys mobilising and doing to try and, I guess, hold – not even hold the line, but – start to get some ground back because it does feel like we're losing a lot of ground in this current situation down in Vic with a five-week duck season. So I agree, Matt. So it is alarming and um, you mentioned in the, as you, in your intro that um, every hunter should have an interest in this and this is the time. Now, now is the time for all hunters to be united as hunters, all firearm owners to be united as firearm owners but also in support of hunting because duck hunting in Victoria right at this very point in time without over-dramatising it is simply the canary in the coal mine. So duck hunting in Victoria has been fielding blows since the mid-80s when the first um, anti-duck hunting activists started to get going, notably Laurie Levy from who formed the um, Coalition Against Duck Hunting. Um, then after he probably wasn't making as much money in it as what he thought he would, he chopped and changed around a few things, but he always kept coming back to 
duck hunting. Then a few other organisations have jumped on board as well. Right at this point in time, however, we now see the Animal Justice Party in Victoria who ran candidates in lower house seats in the last election back in November and they ran candidates in the upper house. They now have one candidate elected in the upper house and it's a uh, – so they had one there previously and he wasn't re-elected, which was uh, Medic, and then now we have a new one elected, which is uh, Georgie Purcell. And Georgie is a um, – I think she's mid-20s and um, she comes across as being quite personable and she has um, some influence and she has a core group of followers, as AJP does um, in Victoria. Uh, Notably, less than 2.5% of the lower house votes, though, across the state went to AJP and and, um, Georgie herself was only elected on less than 1,000 votes but was elected via preferences. So it goes to show that our political system in particularly Victoria in Upper House um, Legislative Council uh, you have to be very, very careful where you place your votes, and that's why you should always vote behind the line because or under the line. If you vote on the top um, and you vote for a party that then flows its preferences through to a um, small party like the Animal Justice Party, there is a very real chance that they can be elected, such as has been the case this time around in Victoria. They've been very, very vocal. We always know and we've always known that it's always been the same group of anti-everything people that... Um, always seem to get a voice and they seem to get the ear of government. Um, They work on ideology and emotion. They get out there and they use all of the, the, they they hit on all of the key points. Um, So whenever they're talking about ducks, they always talk about um, ducks as being she. Um, They always talk about um, baby ducklings and they try to give them identity rather than just being ducklings. Um, The same with deer. It's the same story with any animal down here. Um, we've seen some of the ridiculous things that are coming out around foxes and feral cats and, you know, capture them and then neuter them and then release them again and all of this sort of rubbish. It's uh, yeah, it's it's really quite fanciful, but uh, it's unfortunate that, um, yeah, some of these people have got a little bit of um, – they, they utilise a lot of international networks and they utilise a lot of networks and you know, there's a lot of people that obviously spend a fair bit of time writing to politicians. In our discussions with uh, – Victorian Labor Party prior to the election last year, there was a consistency that had flowed on through through previous years, which was that um, they supported um, safe, um, responsible, and sustainable duck hunting, and um, that goal those goalposts have moved um, straight after they've been elected. So, uh, somewhat disappointing, and we're quite disappointed with the fact that we've got a severely reduced season. We've got an eight a.m. start time which is in direct conflict with some of the key things that you do as a safe, ethical and responsible hunter uh, to make sure that you're in the right position, in the right spot, decoy spread set up properly so that you can take birds in ethical distances. And, you know, starting at 8 o'clock in the morning makes that harder and harder to do. Um, and there's a whole other range of things. But, yeah, so so Victoria is probably the, the litmus test for the rest of the nation. It's certainly... It certainly will be the battleground for um, deer as well, uh, and then after that, it'll be firearms ownership. So it, it's the it's the triple whammy. Um, and if you're a de- if you're a deer shooter and think that duck shooting and any results on duck shooting doesn't affect you, well, I've got news for you, it does. If you're a firearms owner and you're a, a, a target shooter and you think that none of this will have an effect on you, um, it does. Um, it will reduce. 
opportunity for every licensed firearm owner in the state of Victoria. And then, of course, this will grow and it will go out of Victoria and it will go to uh, other states as well. It's something I've said for a while now is that they're chipping away and they're going for little bits and just knock little bits out. And uh, I'm not sure if you've seen the National Feral Deer Action Plan, and I know we're here to talk about ducks, but for me, it's just a lot of people, and it's funny, sometimes hunters can be their own worst enemies. And, you know, we try to put uh, a lot of promotion about the action plan out there because it's in draft and consultation. It actually closed today, which is Monday, the 20th of March. And we got a lot of feedback, some really positive, some really negative, that there's no issue with poisoning deer. And I think the long-term game here, that is a real significant worry for me, as you just mentioned, is deer hunters need to be concerned what's happening to duck hunters. And duck hunters need to be concerned with what's happening to deer hunters because the end game here is to get it so that there's no need for firearms and then hunting disappears altogether. And we're seeing that with South Australia with the bow hunting ban. We're seeing that with calibre restrictions in WA. There's so much going on at the moment and I think all hunters need to be extremely vigilant and we're about to have a New South Wales election here and I'm glad you talked about the preferences because we've had Mark Latham on from One Nation who have banned preferences and we've had Philip Donato, independent for Orange, who was part of the Shooter Fishers Farmers Party and they were talking about those things too. So it is so important that we are vigilant going forward. Now, one thing that's always struck me about the hunting community is the fact that there is, I guess, a lot of segregated little groups all vying for a piece of the pie to represent everybody. And I feel that is a really big disservice because if you look over to the United States and you look at the NRA, they're the big one, but they have the majority, I guess, of support, which then gives them the funding and the political persuasion and the I guess, the the resources to advocate for all hunters. Here in Australia, I don't feel that. I feel that we, as you mentioned before, there's duck hunters and there's deer hunters and there's pig hunters and there's all these little groups that we need a body that really advocates for everybody. And I'm starting to see a little bit that Field and Game is trying to take up that role. Is that what we're seeing here, Danny? Well, I think that there has to be an organisation that assumes a responsibility and that represents all hunters, even if they're, they're not our members. And I've said that to several people in recent discussions and I've had guys um, pinging away at me on Facebook about, well, why should I why should I be a member of Field and Game? And I was once a member of Field and Game and now a member of another organisation. And it really comes down to where do we see ourselves and what's the space in which we see ourselves in the next five or ten years? And I think you hit on a very important point there just with the segregation between organisations, but it's not only organisations, it's shooters as well. And when you think about shooting and hunting, it's often an individual pursuit that you might do with three or four of your mates. So we're already segregated a little bit anyway. Duck hunting is probably the best example of large multitudes of hunters and shooters sharing the same space, whereas um, if you're out pig hunting with either dogs or stalking or spotlighting or doing whatever format that you're doing you're always seem to be doing that in a in a either a small or smaller area or by yourself or with only a very small group of people and then that seems to then characterize itself in the way that bodies represent those shooters so you have uh even in dishing i, I get these constant conversations with some of my mates that are i've got some mates that run dogs i've got mates that are just purely stalking and there's always seems to be little tiffs between the two versions of hunting 
Um, and yes, I, I think unfortunately there's a lot of people that um, just see the little narrow space that they operate in and they're probably not thinking big out, out of the box. Um, very recently, and um, with some degree of looking back over my shoulder, I think of what Ted Drain must have been thinking in the mid-90s because Ted Drain was the focus point after Port Arthur and Ted Drain uh, leading his uh, SSAA and then managed to bring everybody on board and everybody fought for the same issues. And and while we might not quite be there at this point with um, duck hunting, I think that there's certainly there's those thoughts that sort of come to my mind in particular in, in my organisation where we, we will lead for our members and, and we've always done that and we will continue to do it. And I guess it's a, it's a, it's a really now comes down to who are we going to drag along with us and, and how can we make this work? And we're seeing some really interesting relationships form um, in Victoria. The, the unions at the moment are very active. The big four build unions are getting very, very active in outdoor recreation and, and, and it, that includes hunting, but it's also, a very generic across the board. It, it's fishing, it's four-wheel driving, it's um, boating, it's jet skis, it's camping, um, because we've seen a lot of those things, as you rightly pointed out before, Matt, get chipped away around the edges. And when it's you know, access to a certain portion of you know, state forest or whatever the place may be, then you sort of look at that and think, oh, well, I can go somewhere else. And But then all of a sudden somewhere else gets knocked on the head as well. And it's the same as hunting. You know, when hunting gets... Now, the area in which you can participate in hunting gets reduced and it just makes it more and more difficult and then you get regulated out of existence. And I think that's where we need to be very, very careful to make sure that that doesn't happen. And, and the pushback point that you made before is probably where we need to be now. Um, that won't be a popular view amongst um, some people um, and some other organisations won't share my view on that, but we're at the pushback point and we're quite lucky in some ways in Victoria with this select committee that we can now put forward some things that have been on documents or have been discussed in meetings or been discussed at at board levels or operational levels in organisations. And we can actually now go back to government and we can actually say, right, well, if you're really serious about having proper, well-managed hunting in the state, your state game regulator is not going to achieve that. That can only be achieved by an organisation such as ours. Um, the the way that state game reserves are looked after and managed is not being done well enough by the government department that's in charge of it because they don't have an understanding of what that area is and how it's utilised and when it needs water, how to, how to control the weeds in it, what what you need to do, what what needs to be recreated, what needs to be um, re-established in that wetland to make it a good functioning wetland again. Um, government departments aren't interested a because they probably don't have the right people, b I'm sorry if you if you work in a government department and you disagree with me there, but um, we've seen the state that some of the state game reserves are in Victoria at the moment. Um, B, they don't have the resources and the funding, and C, they just get neglected because somebody can just drive past them and tick a box in a piece of paper and say, "Well, I've I've been there and looked at it." So, and it, and it's time it's time to to push back and it's time to ask those things and it's time to come up with solutions for problems that the you know, that the government keeps trying to come up with different ideas to fix, such as poisoning deer. I, I disagree with poisoning deer. I think deer need to be controlled. But if we've got a national park and we've got a deer problem in a national park, the simple solution is open it up to recreational hunting, close access to it for a very short period of time um, for you know, the public to use, whatever the case may be. And right, that's a dedicated hunting weekend, like they do in 
many um, national parks and things like that in America uh, where they have white-tailed deer problems at the moment. I think Washington State, I think, was one of those places. There's a couple of areas there close by highly residential areas where white-tailed deer are at four times the, the sustainable population that can be sustained in that particular area. So they open that area up, uh, they give out five times as many tags as what they used to do, and all of a sudden their overabundance of deer um, gets solved. And I think that's a very easy solution for us here in Victoria um, or, and, and the rest of Australia as well, particularly with deer. I want, to, I want to focus on your pushback comment, but I want to do it in the way of a couple of smaller questions that are going to build into a larger question. So just bear with me during this process. How many members do you have at the moment? We have 16,000 members nationwide. And is there any international interest from that? Do you know? Uh, we, we have international relationships, particularly with Delta Waterfowl in the US, and we have some connections with um, SCI, Safari Club International as well. And that that's through some personal relationships right. that have been developed over the years and people moving around in American organisations, working for one, going to another one and carrying across that that business and working relationship that we might have had years ago, and that helps you. Very do, on the SCI topic, do they recognise Australian duck species in some of their slams? Uh, I'm not sure if they do that, but I know there's a lot of interest uh, from uh, the United States just about hunting full stop, so whether it's um, duck hunting, deer hunting, whether it's the opportunity to come out here and um, do some things that they just can't do in North America, like you know, water buffalo in, in the Territory is a prime example. You know, it's uh, some American hunters just relish the opportunity to hunt in different parts of the world. And we've seen a, a couple of years ago, um, uh, there, there was a couple of groups of Americans came out here specifically, um, Ramsey and I think some of the boys from Dixie Decoys came out and they did some hunting in Victoria. And then that's grown. They did some magpie geese hunting in the Territory as well and did some buff hunting as well. So Americans are great travellers, particularly if they hunt and they get the opportunity to come to a country and hunt, they will. Yeah, they do like to spend and uh, flex their wallet around, which is nice too. So front page of your website, Australia's most surprising conservationists. That's your it headline. What's the, what's the surprising uh, part? So that was, and bear with me because yeah, I'm getting, so that I'm was, getting uh, to the end goal. So that, that's something that we, we kicked off uh, probably back in about 2016 and we went to a PR company and there was a lot of talk and discussion at that point in time around social licence um, and we uh, – had a look at that and we used the PR company to help us rebrand and uh, the tagline that was come up with that at that point in time was that we were Australia's most surprising conservationists because one of the things we always get targeted with is that you just hunt and kill ducks and you don't put anything back and how can it be sustainable when you're killing when you're killing a, a certain quantity of birds per year um, and a lot of people didn't realize that the sheer quantity and amount of wetland rehab that we did, nest box programs for ducks and things like that. So we wanted to bring that conservation point back into our sort of core business or, or make it more visible within our core business. We've always done it. We've always looked after wetlands. It's become harder with um, access and, and the guys in South Australia realised that. Um, we had a lot of programs in New South Wales up until duck hunting was banned up there. When I say banned, recreational duck hunting was banned in New South Wales. So we had programs that were running there and, of course, Victoria, we've always done it, and, and Tasmania as well. So we try to put back in what we take out. So in Victoria, for example, we're, we're probably – our organisation through our branch networks has probably somewhere in the order of five and a half to 7,000 
um, nest boxes out there. I know one of our branches has over 1,500, which is the sale branch down in Gippsland. We have other branches that have several hundred here and here and there and poked around, and we have a dedicated cruise of, of blokes and ladies from our branches that go out and look after them and put new nesting material in them in uh, around about August or maybe late July. And, um, yeah, we've adopted some new American-style hen houses, which are basically big, long tubes, which allows a bird to escape either end rather than a traditional nest box where they go in a hole and come out the same hole. So Right. So we've got conservationists. We've got 16,000 members. We've got a little bit of American interest with mostly Australians. And then on the AJP, Georgie Purcell side of things, they're using the emotional stuff, like you said, the gender of the animals, the young ones. Are, are we using or how are we or can we use those resources, the smart use of the wording in conservationists? I know Matt's touched on it before with Shooters, Farmers, Fishers Party and the choice of their wording, just having the shooter in there versus conservationists can be you know, misleading. You guys have done the right thing there. You're building, you've got great numbers behind you, which I'm assuming is probably equates to a decent amount of kitty at some point, and we'll get into the fundraising at the moment. No, it never is. You've got international interest. We've had Jim Shockey on here the other week, and he talked about it. You've got the guys at Blood Origins. They're talking about it. It is gaining that international push, but- how can someone who's got a thousand votes end up in parliament and be such a strong voice when we've got you've got sixteen thousand members and two hundred plus thousand duck shooters and it's just it feels like their voice is growing above ours at the moment publicly. Yes, it's a, look, that's an excellent question. So we 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 advised our members, particularly in Victoria last year prior to the election, you know, to vote for the parties that were um, that were supportive of hunting and. We had good bipartisan support from all the major parties um, and some of the miners as well. Obviously, shooters, fishers, farmers are very pro-hunting and um, most of the Democrat uh, uh, Liberal Dems are always pro-hunting. Um, so we thought that we were in a pretty nice position and that it would be pretty much business as usual as we as we ran into January and February. And then we started to see some behaviours and some delays in some processes that, that started to feel a little bit strange. and then ultimately ended up with a, a one-third of a season as that we would normally get. Um, and in a year of super abundance of birds, we, we pushed really hard for a full season and full bag limit, and we finished up with a full bird bag limit. So we spent a lot of time and energy on creating, and, and on not creating, but, but putting forward the science that demonstrated we had a super abundance of birds, a magnificent breeding year where a compound breed occurred, you have know, clutches of, our two and three uh, sets of um, ducklings out of the one breeding pair and things like that. And then um, we were a little blindsided by the fact that we finished with one third of a season and, and, and remained with a four bird bag limit, even though the science indicates that we could have had a season which allowed XYZ amount of harvest is, is in a total quantity. So, and I'll just touch on that. So if the if full length season and four birds a day gave you XYZ amount of birds in the total harvest quantity, then a reduction in the season should have seen a lift in the daily bag limit. So if it was four birds a day and you've cut your season by two-thirds, it should be 12 birds a day bag limit, but that's regulated 10. So, But we would have been a lot happier with the, the bitter pill. may have been a little easier to swallow had we had a 10-bird bag limit and a 35-day season, but we still would have preferred a full-length season and a full 
full bag of 10. So the sustainability and the quantity of birds around in the moment, particularly in the New South Wales Riverina and northern Victoria, is um, sensational. Gippsland's looking great. Uh, southwest of Victoria's looking great, even though they haven't had a lot of rain. There's a lot of good wetlands down there that are full and got a lot of birds. To grow an organisation and to, to uh, make sure that we retain membership, which is also a difficult process given that we keep getting these blows and we keep getting further regulations and further barriers put in place um, with with hunting seasons and, and firearm ownership for that matter as well, uh, particularly if, if you're a Western Australian at this point in time, is always very difficult for shooting organisations. And I guess the other key thing too is there's always – uh, a lot of criticism that comes from a very small minority of people and that makes the job twice as hard because people can be influenced and swayed by people's opinion on, on social media pages and things like that. Um, I've seen some extraordinary comments written about our process that we're in at the moment where we're fundraising for some of our experts and some of the comments that are being written by people are, are just to be quite honest, it's just astounds me. And I look at them and I think to myself, well, you know, I've got a team of people that are that are you know, probably going to put together the most definitive portion of work that's ever been done on waterfowl hunting in Victoria and Australia and South Australia. It will be utilised not only in Victoria, it will be utilised in South Australia, Tasmania. It will shore up New South the Territory. It might even establish the fact that uh, there could be a return for hunting in Queensland and New South Wales. And, um, you know, and then I see some people there that are just, you know, that, that are just saying things that just blow me away, to be quite honest. So, so sometimes we're our worst enemy, sometimes we're our best friends, but you know, I think some people probably just need to have a bit of a think about uh, engage the brain before they engage the fingers to start typing on keyboards. So. I think that's a good point. And, one thing for me is I read a lot of comments and, and whatnot on social media and I think from what I see, and again, this could be wrong, but it's from what I see, I see a lot of people that don't sort of care if it doesn't impact them. And if, it's, if, if they've got private access and they only hunt deer, that they don't really care about the duck hunters or they don't care about what the pig hunters do. And, and if they get banned, it's no big deal because it doesn't, impact my little slice of of what I'm doing and this is where I think from an advocacy point of view moving forward we need some communication between our bigger groups and Dodge called out a few people when we had the National Feral Deer Action Plan because when we were were pushing it and promoting it and saying hey have your say as a hunter the bigger groups we hadn't seen anything just yet and they did come along you know we'll, we'll give them credit there but it doesn't seem to be in unison. Is there any collaboration coming from the different groups to support you guys? Or is it like, well, that's field and games fight. We don't really want to get involved in that because we could lose some members. Or And that's somewhat what I feel when it comes to that, I guess, financial membership sort of model. Look, we work, we work very closely with um, a couple of our sister organisations, primarily WSAA uh, Vic and WSAA um, New South Wales and and not not so much South Australia, but when necessary in South Australia we do because we have branches over there. Uh, we also work fairly closely with the ADA, so we understand that deer space quite well, and we support ADA and ADA supports us. And this probably goes back circling back to where we were talking about before, where little groups have gone and interest groups. Um, I think the 
innovations that Facebook have brought to communication amongst certain groups of people has been really, really good. But at the same time, we've seen little groups pop up that are claiming to represent hunters and shooters. And now we have a whole lot of little groups and maybe not just one big group. Now, I'll leave that to each individual to work to work that through their mind, whether they think that a lot of little groups is better than several big groups or maybe even three big groups, um, because there is the there is the thought process that if you have multiple shooting or hunting groups and organisations um, pinging MPs and pinging um, political parties, that's a, a better thing than, than perhaps what it is if, if it was just main, mainly one big group or two big groups, because it makes it look as though there's a whole lot more people. But I think the key thing is that we've got to start to think in inside of state boundaries, but think with a national approach. So if we look at um, shooters' licences across the whole country and you have a look at some of the numbers, I think you know, we have just a, there's a fraction over 1.2 million licensed shooters in Australia. So 1.2 million shooters with their spouses and with their close family and with all of the people in their, their family network or family unit, that is uh, probably 25% of the voting population right there. That's a lot of money if we had one party. If we had one advocacy body and 1.2 million people throwing in, like even 50 bucks, that's a lot of coin to really take stock and advocate and lobby to, to make sure that we're improving and, and finding ground. Correct. And this is where we've been working. We've been working closely with um, not only our sister organisations, but other organisations outside our normal scope and normal limits. So here in Victoria, and this is probably, look, it may go down in history, and I hope it does. I hope it goes down in history that this is the this is the issue and the topic that finally gets a whole pile of outdoor people all singing off the same sheet of music. So we bring in the fishing guys, we bring in the four-wheel drive guys, we bring in the Greyhound Racing Union guys because the animal justice parties of the world will ban greyhound racing. They will ban horse racing. They will ban horse jumps racing. They will ban live bait in fishing. There, there, there will be just so many things that will just get stripped away with it's just one point uh, after the other. And, and we really have to put aside our small differences because I know there's, yeah, motorbike riders in the high country have a different, uh, um, you know, just a, some people might not like that. Some people do. Um, jet ski riders out on the bay or in the, or in the ocean. Some people like that. Some people don't. But I think we have to start thinking big picture about outdoor recreation use and all of those activities that that comes in under that uh, umbrella, rather than be their our own little interest groups. And then we need to start looking at it at a national uh, view as well. So. Uh, and uh, yes, a state focused but a national view, I think, is probably the smart way to do it. And because you got, if you start to use the numbers, and particularly with tourism, every every state in this country uh, lives or dies on its tourism. And you only got to turn on the television every night, and you'll see an ad from the territory or one from WA about visit visit here, visit there. You'll see one from Queensland. Um, so it, it's on the radar of of politicians that interstate travel and and tourism has to be a big thing and we need to focus in on that and get yeah and look back yeah, it's, it's got to get every got to get everyone on the team basically if you use the outdoors um, you, you should be um, getting involved in making sure that you can retain that use of the outdoors building off those numbers that you've just we've spoken about 1.2 million shooters if 
if there was a small rebate, that's not the right word, but just say $5 annually per $1.2 million, that's just $6 million right there. And now the, the tricky part with that, as, as much as I think that's amazing, comes with a lot of responsibility and then you get a lot of backlash by you know, the, like you're saying, the smaller groups that accuse you of using the funds wrongly and things like that. At the moment, I know personally that there's quite a few organisations sitting on large sums of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars and- Millions. Yeah, well, millions collectively and aren't seen to be doing public activism in our favour. The ads you're just talking about, the NT sort of ads, <laughs> If we even went to the effort of running a well-produced duck hunting ad nationally, would cost a fortune. Doesn't matter, and it would get you know the backlash. I feel sorry for whoever would be responding to those emails, and I don't know whether many TV channels would even pick it up and allow it because of the backlash. But the power that would have to spend a million or so and get that nationally, even if we picked up five percent of the vote. That would be enough. If she's getting power off a thousand votes, then if you can pick up five percent of the one point two million, you're doing pretty well on numbers. And that's every state nationally too, not just Victoria. Absolutely. I'll just bring it. So there's a couple of really, really good points there, Dodge. But I'm just. I know I sent myself an email today because I found something that was just a gem, and it was a. It was a discussion that it came from America, and basically it was uh, it was about um, gun purchases and its contributions to wildlife conservation efforts in North America in particular. Now they have a, a thing over there, um, which was called the Pittman Robertson Wildlife Restoration Act of 1937, and through that act, legally sold firearms and ammunition are subject to a minimum 10% tax in the financial year 2021. A total of 679 billion dollars was a port was proportioned to the states in a series of grants programs directly from money that was raised by that program and we have something we don't really tap into that economic information so we know that in victoria um 479 million dollars a year is generated from uh hunting whether it be deer duck quail but just hunting in general and that's equivalent of something like 3,000 full-time jobs. I know in New South Wales, I recently read another figure that New South Wales was well into the high fours, if not into the low 500 million. So this Victoria and New South Wales alone at nearly you know, $900, um, 900 uh, million. So we're getting close to a billion. Uh, and then we've got to add in Queensland, which um, I think will probably run somewhere in about It'd have to be at least half of New South Wales, so it's got to be two. Got to be getting close to two fifty. So all of a sudden we're over the billion dollars, and then if you add in the rest of the country, the territory produces probably as much as New South Wales does. With if you counted guided buffalo hunts, and if you had all of the people that were running that industry up there gave you their proper numbers <laughs> and let you know who was coming and going, um, then you know, you could probably safely say you could probably get to 1.25 billion, maybe 1.3, 1.4 billion dollars worth of income a year just based on hunting in Australia. So that number, when you compare it to other events like, dare I say it, and I like Formula One race cars, but the Formula One here in Victoria, the race I think brings in $320 million. 
for the four days that it's on. Hunting in Victoria brings in $429 million for the year. Uh, the Australian Open or other great big sporting events that get you know, masses of airtime, get masses of promotion and, and things like that. And yet here we have an industry that's basically uh, neglected, pushed under the carpet, over-regulated. Um, and don't get me started about compliance because we're the most compliant um, citizens in the whole country, both as a firearm owner and as hunters. Um, so we've got this we've got this massive monolith of a, of an activity that just doesn't get any airtime. And it's interesting you, you picked the point there before about um, TV um, networks running it. I've got a friend of mine or a client of mine who's a, a um, media personality manager, and he's got quite a few media personalities on his books. Um, some that hunt, some that shoot. And I asked him the other day, you know, we want to do something with publicity and let's let's get our heads together and have a chat and let's see what we come up with. Then I said to him, I, I handed him the poison chalice and I said, who can we get? Who can we use? And then we started having a look at what's happened recently with some um, very famous Australian cricketers who like big game hunting. And we saw what happened with Glenn. Um, we saw the same thing with um, a few of the boys that used to like to go out into Western New South Wales and, and do a little bit of pig hunting as well. And we saw the we saw the media turn them into pariahs, thankfully only for a very short period of time. But the problem is in our country, if we have a, a big personality come out and say, I'm pro duck hunting, um, we're going to have to pay that bloke the, his wages for the rest of his life because apparently he just won't get any other gigs. So do we need to be smarter about how we manage that? So the, I think the probably the easiest one would be through the um, chem-free, free-range food and through the cooking networks and through the cooking shows. So maybe a PR program that, you know, Australia's best chefs love wild game um, and, and start to build that build that process. And I think it's something you could do fairly easily on Facebook, obviously with a lot of sponsored posts and things like that. But just start to just start to guide the narrative, not, not necessarily change the narrative, but just start to guide the narrative now and just work up to certain points and, I think we need to finish with something along the lines of if you eat meat, you have to support hunting. Uh, and I ran that at a dinner I was at yesterday with a with an eclectic bunch of people, none of the none of whom were hunters, and that was universally accepted. And it was and, and I just simply said, you know, if you have a meat protein on your plate, you cannot be anti-hunting because that meat protein has got there because an animal has died. So you just have to pick and choose which way you like your animal to die to get there. Do you want it farmed? Do you want it free range and hunted? But irrespective of how you like it, it's still there on your plate as a dead animal. Okay, you're you're singing our song here and we've spoken <laughs> about this so many times on the podcast and I am a, a massive voice on the North American conservation model and the amount of revenue that brings in from hunters and the tag system, the whole lot. So it's conservation done very well and there's not the push that I see here in Australia for it which I think there's an opportunity that we're missing and then secondly the education side of things I think you know Dodge loves the fact that I always can sort of compare it and say there's a disconnect between people and understanding what where their meat comes from and I've seen that so often and I've seen young people not know that ribs actually mean the ribs of the animal and because they don't see that they go into a shop and they buy the ribs they don't actually have that knowledge of going oh that's where it comes from because there isn't that push out there and education 
I agree with you completely. The media definitely don't want to push hunting in a good light because it's sensationalism and it's a way that they can sell by going against it and tapping into the majority that aren't educated in what we do. YouTube is the biggest one at the moment for young people. It's TV's dying. And if you speak to young people nowadays, they don't watch mainstream TV. They are literally on social media or they're on YouTube. I don't even think we need to do ads on TV. I think we need to run some sort of education campaigns through YouTube. Yes, there's some censorship issues with YouTube. However, it's not that journalism or that um, you know channel taking ownership going. We don't want to push that story. We're gonna we're gonna hide it. That's I think what we really need to do. And we we've talked about it. We need to make the public more aware. We don't, Dodge says it all the time. We don't need more hunters. We just need people that aren't anti-hunting and understand what we do has an economic value and a conserv- uh, conservation value as well. And as you said before, here in New South Wales, if you can buy on hunting and fishing, that's the number one primary production from an economic standpoint. Like yes. that, we should be screaming that from the hills and everybody in New South Wales should know that to change some of these viewpoints about what we actually do. Now, it stuns me down there that you guys have actually now made it illegal to give someone game meat because that's just another thing that really is impacting, I guess, the spread of hunting and conservation. Where to from here? Like, what what is it actually looking like for you guys? I know we're trying to do fundraising, and I'm really excited. If you stay tuned in the next sort of 15, half an hour, we're going to give you a, a pretty good giveaway in regards to supporting field and game and the fight. But um, what what more is happening? What do we need to do, Danny? Uh, so at, at the moment, it's it's basically, yeah, uh, so in the, the process that we're about to go through in Victoria and South Australia with the select committees, so we've got the select committees have been formed in Victoria. Uh, the first thing will be the submission process. So the and it's much like the um, national deer program uh, submissions that we that have just finished. So submissions will open and submissions will be taken. Uh, I, I would imagine it will be in the form of a website where you can log on, you can put in your details, put in your comments, um, press the submit button, load up attachments and anything like that that you might like to do. So first of all, there'll be a submission process and that will go through to all of the committee members that sit on that select committee. Then after that, the select committee will then call on um, various end user groups and they will uh, have uh, some time to present to the select committee. There'll be questions raised and answered and so on and so forth. That's where the key to this fight is. It's making sure that we have a very good, robust, um, scientifically backed, peer-reviewed, very solid effort and that that, that, that that can only really come from the organisations because as much as we've got some really well um, informed individuals out there, they're not just simply not going to get the opportunity to go and present at the select committee. So so the emphasis will lie with the big organisations. So in Victoria it will be Fielding Australia, WSAA Victoria and ADA. Um, and then there may be one or two other end user groups that we might be able to shoehorn in there as well uh, and hopefully we can make that happen because the more pro-hunting organisations, the better. Um, there is certainly will be a representation from um, certain groups um, in Victoria as well, um, not just hunting groups, but there will be conservation groups that will get a get a look in there as well. Um, and then there will be the antis, so it will be the animal justice parties of the world, RSPCA, Vic. Uh, we will be looking at 
some of the uh, outputs from the inquiry into RSPCA in 2018, and that will be uh, included in some of our documentation. And obviously, Animals Australia will be there as well. Um, and they actually might spend some money on um, – well, actually, they'll just spend money. They'll continue to spend their money on activism because they never put anything into conservation and wildlife. Um, so from here, that's basically the process in Victoria. That will be replicated in South Australia, and then hopefully that will be enough that we can actually start to um, get some get some themes happening. Um, we will be pushing back in Victoria, and there's going to be some of those things we were just talking about, um, the taxes and um, the way that hunting contributes to conservation and also the sustainability, and we've got some really good data around that already. Um, but we want to. We will be really pushing for something like that. We'll be pushing for hunt and manage wetlands. Uh, we'll be pushing for other bits and pieces, and we'll actually be asking the government to be proactive. Um, I, I always talk to my own local politician about the fact that in the the, the mid seventies was the peak of duck hunting in Victoria. We had uh, somewhere between ninety and a hundred thousand duck hunters. We all had five shot semi automatic shotguns. The bag limit was twenty birds on opening day. And we harvested up to probably you know eight hundred thousand birds a year, and um, guess what? The, the, they didn't wipe any ducks out in the seventies, and they they're still here. We didn't turn them, uh, we didn't make them extinct. Um, we put a lot of money into the economy. We paid for a lot of state game reserves. We paid for a lot of water to look after those state game reserves. And the government has just not really held up its end of the bargain when it comes to that. And on the opposite side of the ledger, they've introduced regulation after regulation and they've put barrier after barrier in the way and they've they've put programs in place that have reduced duck hunters numbers down to 25,000 so um, the same as what they did in New South Wales so look it's an interesting opportunity um, to that, that's been put in front of us now um, it's not one that we would have liked to have we would have preferred to have gone along pretty much the way we were and when continued on working on these things in the background but these things will be now um, front and center and uh, it'll be just interesting to see how we get on. So I want to circle back to your friend that you were talking to in the TV side of things and talking about celebrities and hunting. Now, I don't know whether you know what I do in the outside of the podcast and things, but generally fencing is my main business, but I organize guided hunting trips and take people on them. Sometimes I take them, sometimes I send them. A few of those that I've done are... NDA related stuff. So Matt loves a secret and I'm pretty good at keeping them from him. But I, uh, you know, I've signed a couple in the past where I can't discuss the hunt I went on with that person because they're someone that has that sort of profile. We actually have a guest coming on and she was, let's say she's a bit of a hero in a community and maybe on a, on a TV show that was just on recently. But she got outed as a hunter and it just crashed for her, but she just rose above from it and used it as a strong, as a way to strengthen her identity and, and didn't let it. And we'll hear from her on her side of it. But I think, I mean, the the whole Glenn McGrath thing was a bit tricky and I don't know, I, I just, I can't get my head around the fact that these people are scared to show themselves. And although they might, you know, cop backlash and lose you know, some sort of support. They're definitely going to gain a lot too. They'll probably gain more than duck hunting will out of this situation if they came out and said they were pro hunters. But I live down here in the Southern Highlands. There's a few celebrities that live around here. A select few of them have large properties and I know I've delivered a gun safe to one of them. So they shoot 
and they hunt, but they just don't want to talk about it. And I just, I can imagine the power that some of those names would bring to it. And I understand that's a huge risk for them and not something they want to. I'm a pretty open person. I live life publicly and I'm not scared to talk about hunting, but I'm also not a celebrity, so I don't have. I uh, recently watched a YouTube video and it was an interview with Quentin Tarantino and it was at some point in time in the mid-90s and it was just as Tarantino was, you know, I think he'd just done Pulp Fiction and he was one of the new guys in town in Hollywood. And he said in this interview that, you know, he was invited by um, uh, Spielberg and um, it was it was another famous director or, or something like that. And they said, uh, yeah, they sort of just invited me along for a weekend and we went duck hunting for the weekend. So, yeah, like he, he was, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino's Spielberg and probably Tom Selleck also. I know Tom Selleck's a big shooter and a hunter. Um, you know, so, so if we had someone like with that type of profile, in this country, and we used to have it because in Victoria we had a, a state premier back in the 50s and the 60s who changed the dates of an election because it clashed with duck opening weekend. Yeah, so we couldn't have an election on that weekend because it would interfere with his duck opening. So uh, we had, uh, and yeah, we had the same where we had um, prime ministers that were, were into hunting and stuff like that. And it's sad that we've sort of lost that connection. But um, it, it, I could just imagine with you know some of the people that I know that are celebrities that. You know, if if they came out and would present themselves, I think there would be, a, like you say, a, a, probably a small backlash for maybe a short period of time. But you know, th- the world is fickle these days. The world moves on from a story. From you know, the the news cycle is only twenty four hours long, and um, you, know, you don't hear about what happened a week ago. Um, so it's an interesting topic to theorise about and to see how we can maybe make some some things to, to work. What what we need, we need some more like American-style celebrities that just don't care. You know, they just come out and, you know, like a Joe Rogan or um, uh, country music guy. Um, anyways, it'll come to me later. But we need, we need some guys like that, you know, that, that will stand and put their hands up and, and be a president of the NRA. Luke, Luke Bryan is one of them. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's, he's a hunter. Um, yeah, th- those type of guys, and yeah, it would be really, really nice if we could do that. Even if it was just, yeah, even if it was just the most basic stuff, you know, like I, I'm a firearm owner and I'm I'm a proud, responsible firearm owner. That that would be enough to, to start to guide and change the narrative around firearm ownership and then hunting. Yeah, definitely, um, all makes sense. Uh, listeners, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. Everyone knows hunters need good glass, and with the Zeiss SFLs or smart-focused, lightweight binoculars, your hunting time will be enhanced with this great bit of kit. Optimised to be as lightweight and compact as possible, the Zeiss SFL binoculars are a great addition to the SF family. The new ultra-high-definition concept ensures true-to-life colour reproduction and the highest level of detail. Thanks to its smart focus concept, the focus wheel is perfectly positioned, enabling fast and precise focusing, even with gloves on. Find your local Zeiss stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. Okay, we're back. And there's uh, for those viewing us on YouTube, you'll see there's been a, a bit of an attire change. We've uh, got a previous guest and friend of the show back, Troy from Honker Hunters. Welcome back, mate. Thanks for joining us. And you'll notice that I've got my lovely Honker Hunters stubby holder Uh I'm drinking something a little different to Dodger's Milo, what he's using, as you can see. And we've got our Honker Hunters bright blaze orange um, hats on. Deer, deer range. Deer range. I love it. They look great. Mate, um, 
Thanks for joining us. I, uh, I'm excited because I think this is really the line in the sand and I'm glad someone's taken the fight for hunters such as field and game. And further to that, I appreciate what you're about to offer. So I'm going to throw it over to you, mate, to, to hear from you and, and then we're going to hear from Dodge as well. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you, Troy. No worries. I thought you were going to go Dodge first because it was his uh, idea. Um, <laughs> Hey, don't give him credit. We don't do that on this show, mate. No, we'll have to give him credit on that one. Um, Everything's sort of come up, as you all know, within the duck hunting. You try and sort of help out the best you can. But when this idea came up, I thought this is a ripping idea and I thought I'd jump on it straight away. So um, Dodge mentioned we should somehow run a bit of a, what would you call a competition or something? Raffle fundraiser. Or a raffle fundraiser. Um, with all the proceeds and all that going towards um, field and game to fight the cause. Um, So when he mentioned something along the lines of that, I thought, bang, 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 mine started working. How can I actually contribute? Um, And this is it. So behind me, if you're on YouTube, you can actually see I've got the couch line with all the Honker Hunters gear. On the other side of me, I've got the new range, which is blaze orange, hats, beanies and some neck garments. And it is all going up as a prize. Included in the prize will be a morning's hunt alongside me for the winner. And that could be down in Victoria and also up into New South Wales for the winner. That sounds pretty exciting. And Matt might get his first opportunity to shoot something in the duck world if... uh... If, I don't think we can enter, Matt. Is that? Yeah, I'll be supporting yeah, well, it. I don't know if we can enter. No, why can't I enter? Hey, if I donate to Field and Game, which I'm going to do, why yeah, can't I enter? Trans- transparency, we can't win. You might want to win my prize, though, because you might get to shoot a deer. So on the back of the <laughs> That's probably the only way I'm ever going to get to go out with you, so I might well, have to. At least as the winner, you might get to pick the dates. But following on from the conversation with Troy, it's, uh, yeah, Great thing for Troy to do and offer his time up to do that. And on the flip side of that, for people who maybe aren't into duck hunting, don't have their wit test or just still want to participate and win a pretty cool prize, I'm going to throw in a day's hunting with Dodge. So it's uh, down here in the Southern Highlands on one of my private properties and I might even shout the snacks. Like you just – you never know what's going to come out of my backpack. So – We'll, uh, we'll organise that. There'll be some gear involved as well. I know, Troy, you said OSA have thrown in some steel shot. Yeah, so in the Honka Hunters prize pack, we have got hoodies, uh, the T-shirt, um, two lots of beanies. You've got a dress beanie, a normal beanie, got the camo hat, and as I said, the decals and whatever. Um, in amongst that, uh, OSA Australia have been kind enough to donate some steel shot. So if you are the lucky winner and you win that on the morning's hunt that you come with me, um, there's some still shot provided. Right, that's pretty cool. I'm sure we can organise something on the deer hunting side of things, I would say, as well. So we uh, we look forward to getting this out there and getting this going. Uh, more details will follow, obviously, but uh, we just want to thank Danny at, at Field and Game for what he's doing, and I just want to throw to him now and maybe let him talk a little bit on where the money will end up once it sort of ends into your hands. Well, well, firstly, guys, um, thank you very much. Really, really appreciate the, the effort and time and thought that's gone into offering some prizes for uh, to help the fundraising effort along. Um, our organisation is, even though we have 16,000 members, we, we only have a very small um, limited resource pool of cash um, left over at the end of the year. 
we, as an organisation, we spend a very large proportion of the membership fee um, every year on direct services to members. So, um, and we do we we offer branch rebates back to our branches to help them out as well. So, which is only a very small portion of the membership. So, I really appreciate the the donation of the of the goods and the time and the effort that you guys will, will put into that. And I encourage everyone to um, jump on board and and give what you can and go into the draw to win a prize with go shooting with a couple of fellas that. Uh, might get you onto some birds or into some uh, four-legged, four-legged things. Um, in terms of um, where our organisation is situated at the moment and what we're spending our money on, um, we've currently engaged the King's Council to review the whole Victorian duck season decision-making process. So that's in relation to the Act, and we've got someone that's pulling that apart at the moment. Um, we've already gone to market for an external consultant to compile and present all our key points uh, which will address the scope that the select committee is going to have. Uh, we, we have got reams and reams and, and just megabytes and megabytes of PDFs and information, so we've just got to compile that into a document that's going to work uh, and that will be utilised. Um, and like I said before, it'll probably be a, the defining, um, to this point, the defining um, lot of information about duck hunting in Australia. So we're going to get that right. Uh, we've also engaged some uh, leading Australian wildlife scientists and ecologists to review that data, uh, make sure that we have specific reports written for us, uh, and that'll be, uh, that gives us the, the kudos and it, it's peer-reviewed and it's done properly. It's not just, you know, not just me shooting my mouth off saying this is right, done a lot, so a la the antis. Um, we're also be engaging some overseas specialists to work with our Australian science and review it and compare it to how um, things are done overseas, so, and particularly North America, because North America is world's best practice. Um, we also will be gay. We've already got a couple of um, political consultants. Um, so at this point in time, uh, I can't tell you who they are, but one is a recently, recently retired uh, Victorian state politician. Another one is a politician from another state. Both very well credentialed, and they understand the select committee process really well. So they're helping us put together how we're going to work with that, and that's really important. To understand it because you can do a whole pile of work but if you don't have the actual understanding of what the process is because uh, it's like um doing an interview with channel nine or channel seven which i've done recently in the last couple of weeks you know we might spend a whole heap of time doing a 20-minute interview and you get two seconds of airtime so we've got to make sure that the airtime that we get is succinct and clear we will uh, also be engaging a research assistant to work on a whole heap of historical data that we've already got it just it's just we, the, the timeframes are really short and we're just going to need someone to get in there and, and pull all that data together and give us some documents that that are, that are formatted in a way that we can then give them to our scientists and say, hey, here's, so we find the data down and, and here it is, go to work on that. Uh, we will um, be engaging some temporary staff to collate working committee data for submissions as well. That's just simple, you know, it's button punching admin role stuff that, you know, takes a inordinate amount of time when you've got volumes of, of data to do. Uh, we'll be uh, engaging some consultants, um, specifically with backgrounds in um, dealing with, uh, I'll be careful how I word this year, because without giving too much away, to deal with sectors of the community that uh, share our interests. Um, so um, you guys can mind leap about what you might think that is, but we talked. We talked about some of them already tonight. So hit rewind if you watch on YouTube, and you might be able to pick up which ones we'll be talking about there. Uh, and a PR consultant to engage with other outdoor groups and maybe work on a targeted strategy campaign. So 
we've got a lot of things on the wish list and um, I, I think some areas will probably get uh, more attention than others uh, in the short term. But I think there's some really good long-term and medium-term things to get done before we get to the select committee. And, yeah, and I think it'll, it'll, it'll come together nicely if, if what our basic plan all figures out and works together. And, of course, we'll obviously be sharing some of that information, not just for our own submission, but to other people as well to bolster their submission process. And that's a really important fact because there's, there's other people that are in this fight as well and um, we're taking the position that uh, we will be assisting other organisations and perhaps smaller organisations and, and other community-based organisations that need a bit of a hand with some data and, and some specialist information as well. So we'll be, we'll be um, sharing some of that data out as well. So many, many facets and many prongs. I'm glad that uh, we might be able to assist in your association in some way and we know it's not right. going to take yeah, 20 really bucks. It, it's going to be a little bit more than that to to chip away at this and get all that done. So we appreciate your efforts definitely but I just want to thank Troy for instantly putting his hand up and putting his brain to it and coming together with us on this and I'm sure there will be some other prizes and gifts that we can organise as other people get wind of it. So we'll, uh, we'll keep building on that and the prize pool might grow to something pretty cool. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so keep checking out probably the social media, so Field and Game, Honker Hunters and Endless Pursuit, whether it be on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you guys can find us. It's going to be – hopefully we can raise uh, a lot of money here because I really do see this as the line in the sand and I'm quite excited to see where this leads because I think I think it's been building here in this country and I think we've had a very lacklustre attitude as hunters for you know quite a few years and I think this is the catalyst and this is what we need probably to, to spur us on and kick us into gear to unite and say, hey, enough's enough. What we do is it, it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, there's, I, can't, I don't know the words to describe it. It's, it's conservation. It's, you know, providing good, healthy food. There's so many elements to hunting that are brilliant. And we need to push that and we need to educate that and we need to be getting it out there. So, guys, I'm, I'm excited for where this is going to lead. Troy, I, I do really appreciate what you've thrown up there. Dodge doesn't shock me. You're asking anybody else to, to go out hunting with you. They're going to pay me. for it. And um, buy a Danny, ticket. Well, either way. So, but, yeah. uh, and, Danny, I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. So, I, you know, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really keen to see where this leads. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Matt. We're, we're, we're very keen to lead the way. And- um, we've, we've got a lot of guys that are helping and it's not just, you know, our organisation is a very eclectic organisation, big, broad cross-section of people from all areas of the community and the way that everyone's coming together at the moment, it's, it's really, really top-notch and uh, I think a lot of people have, have sort of, uh, the, the penny's dropped and I think that everyone's going to pull together and work together and I think it's very, very important to acknowledge that when we do work together, I think we can probably get some good outcomes and, and probably... You know, like we were talking about earlier, actually advance hunting in this country um, on off the back of a couple of little things like this. And you know, I, I guess a a movement starts with a, a couple of key things that happen, and and we've just got to just keep pushing it along once we get some momentum. So, terrific. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, put the differences aside. Let's all band together and get into it. That's it, and it's like we were talking earlier. Yeah, it could be, it could be a, a you know, when we start talking about deer, it could be a color, a caliber ban in New South Wales and Victoria could have drastic effects on people's ability to do things and control wildlife, um, um, wild dogs or whatever the case may be. Um, I know some of my favourite calibers are on that list in um, 
in uh, WA and um, yeah, and you only have to look at the front page of uh, there was a WA news story come out today with a whole table full of gel blasters labelled as uh, as uh, semi-automatic firearms and automatic firearms and things like that and it's you just it's just astounding what's happening in WA at the moment. It's it's insane. <laughs> you just sit back and go. What is going on when we're thinking toy guns that shoot a little ball of water gel is uh, classified as a firearm? You, you honestly have to sit there and go, what is what is going on in this country? Um, look, we really appreciate your time, guys, and for our listeners, uh, share this far and wide because this is a fight we need to take up and we need as much support for field and game as we can possibly get and, you know, there's a couple of good prizes up there now too, even if there wasn't the incentive to back them, which there definitely is. Let's get behind this and make our voices heard as a collective because that's that's what we need for our, you know, next generations to continue hunting and make sure that we're not losing the fight. So on that note, I've, uh, I think that's that's been a good one. I really appreciate your time, Denny, and, and Troy for joining us as well to, to give up those things and, and Dodge as well. So uh, if anyone has got anything else to add before we go, but otherwise I think we'll get out of here. I just want to say that, Matt, Matt, you spoke about it early on and Troy didn't hear this, but when we started this, we didn't plan to head down this path. And personally, I've never been down this path. I've been one of those people that sat back oh, that doesn't quite affect me. I probably won't write a submission to my MP or things like that. And I've been a little bit naive on that. And doing the podcast has really opened up my eyes to the plight of other hunters. I mean, I've always, it's always annoyed me when like bow hunters get annoyed at rifle hunters and things like that. I've never done anything about it. And now we're in a position where we have these people that listen for some reason to what Matt and I want to say every week. And they're, you know, leaning on us and learning from us and i don't want to i've got to lead from the front and i think you know guys like you troy denny us we're all trying to do it we're trying to lead from the front and we both on behalf of matt and i appreciate what you guys are doing and yeah look forward to continuing this and seeing where it plays out denny yeah i agree and look dodge you hit the nail right in the head at the very very minimum if each individual can be an advocate for themselves and for their own hunting rights and their own shooting rights and firearm ownership rights, even if they don't want to join an organisation, if they don't want to contribute in that manner, you must be an advocate for your own sport. It'll be a lot easier if you join an organisation because that gives you it gives you a power factor upgrade, to, for want of a better term, um, because you, but you have your own individual input, plus then your organisation also represents you and as a number with an organisation representing you, it's it, you get a double up effect. So um, I just ask everyone to consider that. And I think that Matt, you you had that in your intro, and you know that's that's one of the key points is we've always operated as individuals. But if you take anything away from tonight and watching this video and listening to the podcast, um, if you if you as an individual make sure that you act, um, then that we are going to be a long way in front of um, if if you don't. So, and and thanks guys for having me on. It's been really enjoyable. Um, talk and discussion. Um, I love talking about uh, shooting and hunting and uh, all things to do with um, firearms and gunpowder. So uh, um, thank, thanks for having me on and um, look forward to maybe catching up and talking uh, about some other things at some other point in time in the future once we've won this fight. I think definitely we want to keep uh, on top of what's going on down there and I think it's 
much broader than what is actually happening in Vic. So it, uh, it will impact the rest of Australia. So I guess the last message I'd like to send out there is unity is key. We need to unite as hunters and what we do and, and make sure that our voice is heard as a collective. So on that note, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. See you guys. If you have a question for the team, shoot us an email. Our email address is theendlesspursuitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, jump on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us by using the at Hunting Journeys and Instagram. Find us on endless underscore pursuit underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.